Hi, Pastor Mike Fabara is here. In August 2024, you're invited to join me on a seven-day cruise to Alaska. Delve into God's Word while taking in the rugged beauty of the Alaskan coast. Visit focalpointministries.org slash Alaska. Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. Envy is one, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, from the pastor to the plumber, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a new Christian or a Christian who's been a Christian walking with Christ for 50 years. This is an equal opportunity temptation, and it is a vice, and it, vice, literally, it clamps you into place and does things in your life that are you're not proud of. In the age of materialism and social media, envy has crept into our daily lives. And whether we know it or not, it's damaging our relationships and rotting our culture from the inside out. But there is hope. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares warns us to be on the lookout for the corrosive effects of envy in our lives. I'm Dave Drewy. Pastor Mike is starting out with a powerful parable to help you get a clear understanding of envy. Now here's today's message called, A Private But Disruptive Sin. If you're taking notes, jot these words down. You need to discern the sin of envy. You need to see it when it's in you, not just when it's in other people. So we need to define it, we need to see what it is. And to do that, I want to go to Matthew chapter 20. It says in verse number one, the kingdom of heaven is like a master. These are the words of Christ. Of the house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, that's the ancient Roman equivalent of one day's pay for a worker. So this is a fair wage, whatever that is today. And he sent them into the vineyard. And the key word in verse two is they agreed to it. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, so I don't know, he's heading to Home Depot in, in the mid-morning here, and uh, he's got to run into town. He sees others standing in the marketplace. And he said to them, um, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I'll give it to you. We won't talk about the money arrangement. Just, I see you're already, you're burning daylight. You're three hours into it. So just go out into the field. And so they went. Going out again about the sixth hour. So now he's driving through, you know, in and out burger to get lunch. He's like, wow, there's more workers standing around here. And he did the same thing. Hey, you guys wanna work, go work. I'll pay whatever's fair. Verse six, and about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. Who knows what kind of errand he's running here. Why do you stand here all idle all day? And they said, well, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Verse eight, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last. Now remember the last, he hired 11 hours into daylight. They only had an hour to work. Right, go to the last and then you pay up to the first, the first people to get here who got here in the morning. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a full day's wage, a denarius. Oh, I got a full day, I got you know, a few hundred bucks here in my pocket. That was awesome. And you can imagine looking at each other, we, only, we were only here for an hour. Wow, this guy's super generous. That's super nice. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. They started doing the math. Man, I'm going to receive like 1,100 like, denarius. That's going to be awesome. But each one also received a denarius. 
And upon receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. You say, what's with the HR department? What's with the boss? What's with this guy? He replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Yesterday you were in here and you signed the contract. You signed the benefits pack. You, signed, you were all fine. You told your wife this was a great job. Did you not agree with me for a day's wage? That's a fair wage. Take what belongs to you and go. If I choose to give this last worker as I give you, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Okay, there's a word you probably didn't use much this week, begrudge, okay? You know that's a word that's not a good word. I don't wanna feel this begrudging feeling. It doesn't even have an object here. It doesn't have an object because in Greek, you might see if you have a footnote, if you're reading, for instance, an ESV, an English Standard Version, look at that footnote and look at the marginal reading. It will give you this really weird Greek construction of what we're translating from the original language of the New Testament. Do you see it? Let's look at it here together. What does it see? You, you've got a, an ESV. It, here, here's literally what it says. Is your eye bad because I'm good? What? Is your eye bad because I'm good. Is your eye bad? I'm casting my eye on them. And that's a bad eye, a bad eye. Envy really means to, to look upon, to look upon. And I'm looking upon other people that God has been more generous to, or the master of the house in this illustration, and I, I, I don't feel good about it. That's why begrudge is not a bad translation because it really captures the, the idiom, both in Hebrew, by the way, it goes way back, and Greek, the idea of putting your eye on someone. If that seems too complicated, think of it this way, gals, you buy a dress for Easter. It's really nice, you put a little extra money into it. You look in the mirror, you go. It's looking pretty good, let's go to church. Get to church last week and you see another gal out there after church wearing a dress looks really a lot like yours. Not exactly, a lot like yours. But apparently in the who wore it better category, um, it must be her because you're overhearing as you're by the coffee table there, the donut table. I mean, you're standing near her. You've heard like four compliments on her dress. And guess who said nothing about your dress? No one, including your husband. It's like no one said anything. You're looking at your dress. You're looking at her dress. You're hearing everyone compliment her. And here's what you're going to do to her, gals, because gals do this all the time. You're going to cast, you're going to cast your eye upon her, up and down. And while she, by the way, as you're looking her over, is picking up her coffee, and then she gets a donut for her kid, and her kid's kind of pulling on her skirt, and she's balancing that coffee, you're just kind of eyeballing, maybe that coffee will just go right like on, on her dress. Wouldn't be that, I mean... I might run over and go, ah, oh, can I, here's a napkin. But it wouldn't be horrific if the one getting all the compliments on the dress that looks just like mine, right, has a nice coffee stain all over herself now. No, oh, I would never say that out loud, but I'm casting a bad eye on them. Okay, that didn't help. Let's go, let's go to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. If you need more examples of this, let's talk through it. There's many of them, but let me, we're trying to define it. I'm trying to define it. I, I'm, 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 I'm looking with 
askance. I'm looking with a negativity. I'm looking with a with a feeling of disruption of my peace and tranquility. I look, I feel I felt okay looking in the mirror before I came to church. Now I don't feel so good. And it's not that I'm sitting here saying, I got to rush to a mirror in the bathroom at the church. It's that I'm looking at her like I could look through her. And if there were daggers, I would be daggering her with my eyes. That's, that's just how it happens. And I don't even start to realize what's happening. As a matter of fact, when someone says, oh, her dress looks nice. Now it's like, yeah, but have you seen her kids? How unruly are her children? Did you see how they're tugging on her? I mean, there's instantly this pejorative sense of negativity about the person because they're getting something that, that we're not. First Samuel 18, how about this, guys? Verse six, as they were coming home, First Samuel 18, six, David returned from striking down the Philistines. The women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang, the women sang to one another and they celebrated. So here's a little parade after the, the war. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, if you're David, you're going to get it, right? Women are coming out to celebrate my amazing skill on the battlefield, right? I'm getting accolades. I'm getting awards. I'm getting all the gals going, this guy's great, really good, done really well. I mean, you're the salesman of the company. Yay. You really have done. Look at the job. Look at the car. Look at the house. Whatever it is. Look at your accomplishments. Problem is, David is a lieutenant, up-and-coming leader. He's still not much. He's still doubling as a, as a jazz musician in the king's palace. But he's, he's trying to make his way in this. And Saul is the king. He's older. He's taller. He wears the crown. He's got a palace. He's got the armies at his beck and call. And he's cleaning out his ears going, you said I've struck down my thousands and David his 10,000s? Well, how does that go? Verse eight, Saul said, it's great to have a, such a great up and coming lieutenant in my army. Praise the Lord. Thank you, God, so much for bringing David into the army. See all that in verse eight? Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. And he said, they've ascribed to David 10,000s, and to me they've ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? Soon, I won't even have, they're going to move me out of my corner office. This guy keeps getting, who's the hot shot now at the office? I don't get it. He gets all the bids, gets all the accounts, he gets all the accolades, gets all the awards. He's getting raises, he's getting promotions. I now look at him askance. I look at him with this feeling of, of resentment. And I think, what else is he going to take from me? He's already taking the praise and the accolades and the girls are looking at him like, this is the hot shot now in the army and they know that I'm the commander in chief, but I'm no longer, I mean, he's stealing my spotlight. What else is he gonna take from me? Here's the idiom, verse nine. And Saul, here it is, eyed David from that day on. Not just girls in their dresses and, you know, all the rest. It's, it's guys in this comparative sense of what are you doing? How are you getting, you know, how, how's it going for you? Here's the reason this series is important for us. There are certain sins that I think as Christians, it's easier and easier to conquer them as we grow in the Christian life. Envy is one, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, from the pastor to the plumber, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a new Christian or a Christian has been a Christian walking with Christ for 50 years. This is an equal opportunity temptation and it is a vice and it vice literally it clamps you into place and does things in your life that are you're not proud of and it 
it, it, it's like the old story that's told to illustrate it, and, and many people illustrate it with this story of the monks that were in the desert, and the desert fathers, the hermits, they were called, and they're out there serving God, praying prayers, and the demons, this is the old story, the myth, they're trying to trip them up, and they can't trip up the monks because they're so righteous and holy. They're always thinking about God. They're always praying, and so they're frustrated. It's a lot like Lewis's screw tape letters, if you haven't read it. Just a fantastic book, and all fictional, of course, about the insight of the, of the demons trying to trip us up. So they go to Satan. They go, we can't get these guys. Right? We can't get them. Everything we try, every temptation, everything we try to get them to do, and lust, and anger, and, and obscene language, we can't get them to do any of this stuff. So Satan goes, watch this. And he goes up and he whispers into the most holy monk out there in the desert, the priest monk. And he says, your brother has just been appointed the Bishop of Alexandria. And backs off and all the demons watch as his face, right? Scowls. But the point is, Paul can say this. Envy is a motive even for preachers. It drives them on. Right? Paul was in prison and they were concerned about the fact that he's getting all the attention and now they're out there, I'm quoting now Philippians 1, preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. I mean, think about that. It's, a, it's sin. It's a big sin, as we'll see. How do you put your eye on other people? This is a relational thing. It's a relationally damaging sin. And it's a focus on the person. Like this text says, you, Saul put his eye on David. Right? And to do what? Well, verse 11, if you want to jump down to verse 11, Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. I mean, it isn't for good that we're paying extra attention to the person. We're looking for problems. We're looking for, we're, we're looking for things that are somehow, somehow in contradistinction to the things that I'm jealous of in the person's life. By the way, we, we should um, distinguish some of these words. Jealousy literally is the word, um, if you were to transliterate it, we get the word zeal from it. And sometimes it's translated that way, zealous. Zealous is a word that sometimes is put in a positive context and sometimes in a, in a negative context, but always it's a eruption of feeling. I can be tranquil, I can feel peaceful, and all of a sudden I have this thing build up inside my heart. Jealousy is like that. And sometimes jealousy is a good attribute because we are jealous for things that we rightly possess and we don't want a threat of someone coming in and taking it away. Right? Even God himself is jealous, right? His people should worship him. They shouldn't bow down to Moloch. They shouldn't be worshiping at the Ashtaroth poles. So he says, right, I'm jealous for my name. I'm jealous for my people. The Lord your God is jealous. Do not worship any other gods. Jealousy can be an, an, an exasperation at something that's rightfully yours being taken away. So sometimes the word zealous, sometimes the, the concept of, of jealousy is a synonym of envy and sometimes it's not. Because it can be a desire for me to have something or keep something like the corner office and I don't want you taking it from me because I'm envious of you and your talent and your position and your, your looks or your weight or whatever it is that you're concerned with. I, I, I don't want you to take something from me. And so jealousy can, sometimes can be translated and used that way in scripture to describe something that is bad as well as something that's good depending on the context. Envy though, it's, it's the core problem. How about this word, covet, just to separate biblical words? Coveting. I would, I would argue that coveting is a component part of envy. Right? Envy is, I don't like the advantages and the things that you have that I don't have. I'm going to look at you now with a critical eye, begrudging you. Really, ultimately, as we'll see in future messages, it's really a begrudging of God 
really, I'm, I'm, I'm critical of God, but that's not, I mean, the relational sin is I'm looking at you with a critical mind, and it usually comes out with gossip and criticism and a lot of other things, and it can get way worse than that. But the idea of coveting, it can start with, I want what you have. Matter of fact, in the Big Ten, right, God brings the, the ten, ten Commandments down off the mountain in, in the hands of Moses, and the Tenth Command is coveting. And it's weird because all the other ones are like, Avi, if I, if, I, if I murdered someone this afternoon, man, I'd have a hard time sleeping at night. Like, ah, oh, man, I feel really good. But here is one that's in the top 10, and God says, do not covet. Don't covet, covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet his ox or his house or anything else that he has. His stuff, you should stop looking at with this, this desire, this salivating desire. I want what he has. Don't do that. So... Envy, then, is like the next step. Envy is the whole category. I'm looking at what you've got. I want what you've got. And really, it starts to, to have that sense of, and I don't like that you have it. It moves from the thing to the, to the person that possesses it. And it is a guarded, so it overlaps with jealousy. And then I don't want you taking what I've got. And it could be attention. It could be position. It could be paycheck. It could be a lot of things. It ends up being so self-injurious. As a matter of fact, the idea of, of discerning what envy is in your life, you can see that I'm willing to, to even have things taken away from me if you would be somehow advantaged if I don't lose those things. The illustration, and it's used often in this discussion of envy, at least in church history, back to a Jewish parable where there's a shopkeeper and he's got a competitor down the street in the marketplace and uh, an angel comes to him and says, kind of like a genie in, in a bottle, an angel comes and says, uh, I'll give you whatever you want. I will, I will give you whatever you desire. Whatever you grant, what you grant, or you give me a request, I will grant it. The only catch is your competitor down the street gets twice of whatever you ask for. You can see the, the conundrum here, the problem. So he thinks for a while. He thinks, wow, if I ask for uh, bigger you know, revenues, if I ask for a raise, if I ask for you know, more, or like I want to double my business, right? He's going to quadruple his business. So, ah. so the man ends up in this Jewish parable just asking for this. Okay, make me blind in one eye. And the point of the Jewish parable about envy is I'm so concerned about his advancement. I'm so concerned about him st stealing the spotlight. I'm so concerned about him having so much more, even if I had a lot. Right? I don't want him to have more. Right? And, and, and that's how this goes. And, and we'll see this even in classes and how it works in economies and how it works in society. And a lot of things that we're debating on the stage of, of modern evangelicalism really comes down to envy. It, it's the class distinction. It's the distinction that I don't like her looking better than me. I don't like him being more successful than me. I don't like her advancing in that job or that company fast. I don't like that. They've got, I'm casting an eye on you. Is your eye bad because I'm generous? And that principle is going to come through this whole series. We're going to have to understand that from every direction. You have to discern the sin of envy. And you have to understand that that's something that's, that's active going on in your life. And speaking of eyes being cast, do you think social media helps this or hurts this? Speaking of things you put your eyes on all day long. When we look at where they vacationed and how clear her skin looks and how great his car is and you know, where they went again and they took another cruise and they did this other thing. And we, we look at these and we think we're just kind of checking in with those people. 
And I just wonder how that avenue of my eye being cast on them, it's just, it's great that that, that idiom, and it is an idiom, I get it. It's trying to talk about the feeling of that belligerence and that resentment, but it, it really is so good that it's been maintained through both Old and New Testament because it really is where your eye is drawn and often it's drawn to a place that fuels my discontent, not only with where I'm at, but my discontent that they're at where they're at. We have to be sensitive to this. We have to know it. Let me give you one more passage here. You don't maybe have time to turn to this one, but here's what Solomon said. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 4.4, Listen carefully. Then I saw all the toil and all the skill in work that comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. And I said, this is vanity and a striving after the wind. Did you catch that? Then I saw all the toil and all the skill in work from a man's envy of his neighbor. And I said, vanity, striving after the wind. Do you know that you can say, I think I just have a good work ethic. And really what's fueling that is, is a sin of envy and envy of your neighbor. The next degree, envy, right? The next thing that you're trying to master, the next book you're trying to read, right? the next promotion you're trying to get, the competency, the skill set, it could be driven by envy. And envy, let's just be, it's sin. Definition, for what it's worth in a series like this, I should at least give you my definition in my study on this topic. Here's how I would put it. Envy is the resentment Envy is the resentment of others. Ultimately, it's going to go back to God, and we'll get to that. But just a baseline definition. Envy is the resentment of others for their comparative blessings and advantages. Envy is the resentment of others for their comparative blessings and advantages. And here's what we need to catch in this series. And is the source and the motive for all sorts of compounding evils. And it is the source and the motive for all sorts of compounding evils. If we start with that, I think we'll know why we should be addressing the topic and why we should see that envy as a sniper in the grass who doesn't come out like a, like a tank roaring down, the, down the, 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 the road at us with a you know, big gun that's loud. It's, it's stealth, it's covert, it's insidious, but it causes so many other problems as we'll see in this series. You're listening to Focal Point, and a message from Pastor Mike Fabares called Envy, a private but disruptive sin. And you won't want to miss any of the insightful teaching in this series. So if you joined us late, or if you'd like to listen again online, there's a link to today's program along with Pastor Mike's message notes at focalpointradio.org. We're glad you joined us today, and we hope you've benefited from listening to Pastor Mike deliver the truth of the Bible without watering it down or shying away from hard truths. But we need your help to keep these messages on the air in your community and across the country. So I invite you to give to Focal Point today by calling 888-320-5885. Again, that's 888-320-5885. 85, or go online to focalpointradio.org. And when you donate, we'll say thanks by sending you a copy of Pastor Mike's brand new book titled Envy, A Big Problem You Didn't Know You Had. In this excellent and insightful book, Pastor Mike exposes the corrosive sin of envy and explores biblical ways to close the gaps that make us vulnerable to envy's temptations. As you read, you'll discover how to truly rejoice with those who rejoice and gain a deeper capacity for self biblical love. And that's something we all need more of. 
So request your copy of Envy, A Big Problem You Didn't Know You Had, when you donate to Focal Point today. Again, call 888-320-5885 or donate online at focalpointradio.org. And we'd also like to send you a CD copy of Pastor Mike's message you heard today called Envy, A Private But Disruptive Sin, when you get in touch. It's free to request, and it's a valuable resource to help you or someone you love grow closer to the Lord. So contact us today at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again tomorrow for the next part of this message from Pastor Mike called Envy, A Private But Disruptive Sin, coming up Wednesday on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. Ever wish you could corner your pastor and challenge him with your toughest questions about the Bible, about faith? Well, now you can. Send me your questions. Head on over to focalpointradio.org and click on Ask Pastor Mike. Or send me a note on facebook.com slash pastormike or twitter.com slash pastormike. I can't wait to hear from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.